Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Emma Dunkley, retail banking correspondent, Vanessa Holder, our tax correspondent, and also down the line we have Kina Lakani from Citigroup. This week we'll be discussing the latest results at HSBC, where there's been a recovery in the first quarter, particularly in the investment bank. Secondly, we'll be looking at UBS, where results have also looked good. And finally, a look at a Supreme Court hearing on some legacy tax payments on bonuses. First, though, to HSBC. Martin, you've been taking a look at the first quarter results of the bank. Obviously, they've been in the news for a variety of reasons over the past few weeks. But today's mainly about numbers. We'll come on to another aspect. But the numbers looked okay. Yeah, the bank, I think it's fair to say, beat expectations. Pre-tax profits were up 4% year on year in the first quarter. And that was as a result mainly of a strong performance from the investment bank, where particularly foreign exchange trading and equities trading were both up and they offset a decline in rates uh, trading. That reflects the increased volatility that we've seen in the first quarter in in many markets, which has benefited uh, many of the world's biggest investment banks. So no real surprise there. And in fact, the markets have taken the good news from HSBC in their stride and focused, in fact, on a continued increase in in costs in the first quarter, which were up 6%, and the shares were down almost 2% this morning. One other thing that came very interestingly out of comments by the chief executive alongside the numbers was that he gave the clearest signal yet, publicly anyway, that the bank is looking seriously at whether they want to continue to own the UK retail banking operation. Yeah, he said it's too early to make decisions because the rules are still being finalised, but... He said what the bank is studying very closely is the ring fencing rules. And these have come out of the Vickers Commission and being put into law, forcing all major UK banks to separate their retail banking operations into a separately capitalised and separately governed subsidiary. And it's the rules around that that HSBC says it's looking at, in particular the governance. So does it have to have a completely separate board of directors in this subsidiary? Can it exert any influence over its subsidiary's decision or not to pay a dividend? And over capital, what levels of capital should that subsidiary hold? What kind of control will the parent entity have over that? And the point he's making is that if the electronification of this ring fence, as as the terminology goes, is uh, severe, in other words, if it's 
electrified to such an extent that the parent company, HSBC Holdings, has almost no control over its UK retail banking subsidiary, then what's the point of owning it 100%? And he says, you know, investors don't invest in HSBC for us to be a passive equity investor like an asset management company in the various assets that we hold. They expect us to manage those actively. So that would be uncomfortable for us. And it comes only a couple of weeks after HSBC said at their annual meeting that the board had requested management should look at whether to remain domiciled in the UK because of all the extra regulation and tax burden that was coming from the UK government. And so they're looking at all all options, I think. Interesting stuff. Now, HSBC is the latest UK bank to report. Emma, you've been looking at some of the others. RBS and Lloyd's both had numbers out last week. Have they been buoyed as much as HSBC and indeed so many of the world's banks have been by the macroeconomic bounce in the first quarter? Well, it's quite a different story between the two state-backed banks insofar as RBS posted a quarterly net loss of £450 million. So if they were buoyed to any extent, this was largely offset by a £1.3 billion charge incurred from restructuring costs and litigation costs that were higher than expected at about £850 million. So RBS really felt the impact of that, although they argue that they have done a good job of restructuring over the quarter with the sale of Coots International and a couple of corporate loan books. However, Ross McEwen did warn that the year ahead is going to be quite tough. Now, of course, Lloyds, on the other hand, doesn't have any offset, if you like, to fall back on, as some of these big investment banks have done. It's the volatility in markets that's really boosted revenues at investment banking. Lloyds, on the other hand, primarily a retail bank, but their numbers looked pretty decent. Yes, their underlying profits were pretty strong at £2.2 billion. So although a few people pointed to their statutory profit being 11% lower year on year at £1.2 billion, this was due to a one-off cost of selling TSB and them taking a £660 million hit as a result. So the underlying profits were largely buoyed by their success in the mortgage market, of which they own about 20%. And they've even upgraded their forecast, the net interest margin for the year ahead to be above 2.55%, which is higher than a lot of the other banks. So, for example, I think they posted 2.6% net interest margin in the first quarter, whereas RBS posted 2.2%. Yeah, it shows really the power of being a, a dominant player in the market, I suppose. Let's move on to another bank that's been reporting results. UBS has surprised the market with... Um, very robust set of results for the first quarter of the year. Three quarters of a billion Swiss francs in pre-tax profit. That's more than 50% better than the market expected and the shares jumped as a result. Well, Kina Lakani from Citigroup, uh, analyst there, has been looking at the numbers. What was the big swing factor, Kina? Yeah, I think uh, there were two or three key drivers. You know, For us, the most important one being the strong cost management seen at the bank. That's been an area of disappointment over the last kind of two to three years, but they are finally delivering and the benefits of that are being seen across some of the major divisions. But on top of that, you know, benefiting from some of the more robust revenue trends that other banks have seen as well, as well as a continued progression in terms of their capital ratios. When you talk about benefiting from the trends that others have seen, this is predominantly an investment banking where the kind of volatility in the markets helped profits. That may be a surprise for some because UBS has made a big show of slimming down its investment banking, particularly in the fixed income areas that benefited the most across the industry. So despite that, they've managed to profit. Yes, absolutely. UBS benefits from the higher volatility and customer activity that we're seeing. And this is being particularly seen in products like FX and equity derivatives, where UBS does have some key market positions. 
So um, despite having shrunk its investment bank, you know, it still generates a very good ROE. Last year, an ROE of over 20%, obviously, in a seasonally strong quarter, an even stronger ROE this year. So I think it's the macro bias of the franchise which is benefiting. You highlighted another big point in terms of costs. Now, I guess a big picture reason for costs having been high over the past couple of years has been partly to do with that shrinkage, that they haven't been able to shrink the cost base as fast as maybe they've withdrawn from certain business lines. But that's all changed in the first quarter of the year, I guess partly as a result of better revenues than expected. They've managed to bring that cost-income ratio down from the 80s below 70%, which is a pretty decent number. Have they also been tackling cost per se as opposed to just the ratio? Absolutely. I mean, you can start to see the benefits coming through in the kind of absolute cost base, which, to be honest, still suffers from regulatory pressures, which they call temporary. But even looking through that, the centralized costs are starting to creep down. And I suspect as we go through the year, they should actually be able to build on that. And a final word, uh, if we could, on the foreign exchange litigation that's ongoing. This is, of course, a cross-sectoral issue. And we've seen some negotiations with regulators come to fruition. Uh, UBS signalling today that it seems to be very close to a settlement of its own. Yeah, that does seem to be consistent with other press reports, including your own. And um, I think for us, the most interesting aspect of that is that it did not come with additional litigation provision charge, which suggests to us that the bank is relatively well positioned in terms of the provisions they have already taken. They took a particularly large provision in the third quarter of last year. So I think that may be helpful. Well, we'll see if that yields any big surprises. But for now, investor sentiment on UBS is pretty high. On to our third topic, which is a very interesting case being heard at the Supreme Court in the UK about payment of past bonuses. Vanessa, you have been looking at this case and have followed it over the years, I think. It basically centres on the way in which UBS and Deutsche Bank paid bonuses to a segment of their employees some years ago now, but it was structured in a fairly aggressive way to avoid tax. Maybe you could give us an idea of how this was done and whether the Supreme Court in this case is likely to overturn past rulings and find in favour of HMRC rather than the banks. Well, this is an example of a really quite common form of tax planning. If you go back 10 years, and this was a scheme that took place in 2003-04, it was very common for people to set up companies or trusts in some offshore tax haven and pay salaries into that. And they were designed so that the company would get a corporate tax deduction and for the employee, they would defer or possibly even eliminate the tax national insurance that was due. And HMRC has long disliked this sort of planning, but it has over the years rather struggled to close it down. And in fact, in 2011, it actually legislated. It introduced something called the Disguise Remuneration Rules. And this stuck a stake through the heart of this sort of tax planning, which, of course, leaves a slightly open question over whether the stuff that took place before then, whether it actually, you know, is in line with the law. And clearly, the banks in this case are arguing that it is. Now, HMRC has a good record on litigation. It tends to win at least 80% of its cases. But 
uh, with this one, and there's another similar, very interesting case involving the Rangers Football Club, I think um, it's a very open question whether they will win it, and uh, quite a lot of people think they won't. And are there any implications either for the employees who were paid in this way at that time, or indeed for ongoing payment of bonuses? As you say, this was an old structure which is no longer used. I think it's probably fair to say this sort of tax planning has completely been closed down. It's gone. But these cases are very important because there's a lot of revenue involved. HMRC had a settlement scheme. It actually closed at the end of last month to try and get employers who ran these sorts of employee benefit trusts to come forward and pay up the tax that HMRC thought was due. And they met some success. I think they've brought in about a billion pounds, but there's still an awful lot of money out there. And so HMRC will want to win these cases because then it will be much easier for it to demand the money from the other companies have done this. Well, it's certainly playing into a fairly febrile political climate around taxation in general, but taxation of banker pay in particular. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Emma and Vanessa in the studio and also Kina Lakani from Citigroup down the line. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.